You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. It's my privilege to read from God's Word today from Micah 5, um, starting at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth." and he shall be their peace. Lord, we ask you today to um, bring this word that we've read to our hearts, and as we hear the um, exposition of this word, Lord, that you don't let it just be um, just another um, exaltation of just the story of uh, there was a couple going and they didn't have room and they had a baby in a manger and you know but Lord Jesus help us to know that you are the very real son of God our father sent you for saving the world and that this world has not ever been the same since you came help us to know and understand that and open our eyes and our ears to hear your word amen Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, Tim, for those exciting stories. Thank you, Darcy, for your work with TGM. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Um, I was thinking this past week a little bit about superhero stories, okay? And when I say that, I, I'm kind of mainly thinking about um, the ones that we're familiar with that have been around for a long time. Uh, maybe not some of the newer ones that maybe I'm not familiar with. Um, but so like characters like Batman or Spider-Man or Superman. And I was, there you go, and a DC fan over here, like the lone one. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so we, and, and as I was thinking about these superhero stories, um, I was kind of asking the question, okay, what... We generate so many of these, okay, and then we gravitate toward them so strongly, and there's a reason why um, we're drawn to them. And, and my question is, why? Why are we so drawn to superhero stories like the ones that, that I've mentioned? And so I wanted to just start off this morning um, with some of your participation and, and give the question, throw the question back towards you guys and ask, why do you think that is? Why do you think we are so drawn to superhero stories? What do, what do you guys think? Good versus evil. Tim in the back. Anybody else? Go ahead, Vicky. That there'd be somebody who would save us if we ever got in a real crisis. Anybody else?
He does what's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, I see what you're saying. It's like, like you, it inspires you to be like them in some way, right? Yeah, I I get that. Anybody else? They overcome, there's the Justice League, right? They overcome injustices, right? Anybody else? Go ahead, Smiley. What's that? Supernatural strength is a big, we'll talk about that. There's, There's something... I don't know, that's alluring about that. Like, um, what, what were you going to say, Smiley? I was going to say, you know, it has to do with the outside of the earth. Yeah. And, uh, again, it's tied in with Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, 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 there's something about, there's a, okay, so there's an otherness about them. There's an otherness about them. We will actually, we'll talk about it. Go ahead, Cindy. The feeling, the, someone who cares, you've got, there's hope involved in that. Like, yeah, a lot of these things are encapsulated uh, in these stories. As I was thinking about that question, okay, why do we gravitate towards these stories? I felt like it was, helpful to think about maybe some of the elements that are involved in the story. And I'm talking about it at a very kind of like basic sort of level, right? I think one element that is involved in many of these stories is that, there, that there's trouble looming. Sometimes in the shadows, like maybe not out in the open, but, but there's troubles that are looming and people are under threat. Again, I, maybe they don't, they're not fully aware of that, but they're people under threat and that gives rise for the need for a hero. So we need, we need a hero. But what's interesting about these hero stories is that almost in every case, and I haven't, you know, I don't, I'm not like an expert on this, but in almost in every case, it seems like these heroes, there's, there's parts of them that seem pretty ordinary. So there's an ordinariness about them on some level, but then there's something um, other about them on another level. And so that ordinariness that we can sort of relate to and the otherness that makes them greater than us, that kind of combined, it produces somehow, and we'll talk about this, but it produces hope for a a better future. So if you think about, um, even in the case of like Batman, right? So on one level, he's, he's a man, Right? And he doesn't even have any superpowers like some of the other heroes, but he's very, very wealthy. So that's the otherness of Batman. So that affords him like the ability to have the specialized training with this equipment and all these things. And, and so he's, he's ordinary and other. Or if you think about Spider-Man, just an ordinary teenager, uh, except for he was bit by a radioactive spider, right? And so so now, he's, now there's otherness uh, to him. Or you think about Superman, right? Raised in, you know, a rural setting by farmers on, you know, looking from the outside, looking in, pretty ordinary. But my goodness, he's from a whole other planet, right? And so he's got these these powers. Now, interestingly, if you think about these types of stories and you you look throughout human history, 
Um, these kinds of stories are not just like a recent thing that you know, came along with cinema or even comic books. Like humans have been generating these types of stories, tons of them, tons of them since the beginning of, of humanity. And anthropologists have all kinds of reasons why that might be the case. But I, I believe that the reason why we generate these stories, the reason why we gravitate towards these stories is because the elements of them right, are sort of, they're woven into reality in a way. Like we experience these types of things and there are elements of the story that are, I would say, written on our hearts so that there is a longing that you don't have to teach anybody. Right? There's a, you have this longing that somebody brought, I think, Vicki, you were bringing it up, a longing for a hero that is both like us and greater than us. Because the, the truth about reality is that if you take the biblical perspective, right, trouble is looming. The world is actually under siege. We've, we've been invaded by foreign occupiers who are unseen, maybe operating in the shadows, but nevertheless, profoundly influential and evil. And that gives rise for the need for a, a, a hero who will liberate the world and, and bring the world into a new place. Right? And my, that kind of uh, larger story, meta-narrative, if you will, that, that undergirds, it's sort of like the scaffolding that holds up the passage that we're going to be looking at at this morning. And I think that embracing that meta-narrative is critical in terms of um, experiencing and really appreciating or even understanding the hope of Christmas. And so that's what I want to talk about, is the hope of, of Christmas. And again, my, my contention is, is that you won't be able to appreciate or experience fully the hope of Christmas unless you embrace some of the elements of the story that we're talking about, right? That there is trouble looming, that we're under threat, but there is a hero in the horizon, and that hero brings hope of a new world. So we're going to be talking about that trouble. We're going to be talking about that hero, and we're going to be talking about that hope as we sort of move along. So let's first talk about the trouble that is looming. You don't, <clears throat> I mean, it is there sort of indirectly in the passage that was read to us by Sherry, but you really get a clear picture of it when you take that passage in Micah chapter 5, and then you situate it in the larger context of the book of, of Micah. So that, that's what I want to do here at the beginning for this first point, is sort of zoom out from our passage to take in the rest of the book of, of Micah, and then we'll zoom in a little bit and then look at the immediate context. And that will help us understand the, the, the passage. When we zoom out to take in the whole uh, book of Micah, Micah begins in this way, in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, we're not going to go through all the verses, <laughs> so don't get scared. But verse 1 goes like this. 
the word of the Lord came to Micah of Morasheth, right? So that's a town kind of halfway between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea, kind of like in the hills. It's kind of out in the boondocks. He's an outsider. He's, an outsider. he's a prophet in Jerusalem, but he's an outsider, okay? Then it says, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw, who saw? The prophet. Prophets are sometimes called seers, right? He saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So those are two capitals, right? The kingdom at this point is divided into the north and to the south. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Samaria is the capital of the north. Jerusalem is the capital of the south. So we learn quite a bit from just this first opening verse. We have an 18th century prophet, right, who is prophesying about these two capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem, during the time of three Judean kings, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. So that means that he is a contemporary of who? You know, the prophet Isaiah. So he's prophesying during the time of the prophet Isaiah. See, that tells us a little bit about, okay, what he's talking about and when it's happening. But what, what was the message? What was the message that he was delivering about these two capital cities? Well, if you read Micah, Micah's not very long. You can read it in one setting, and what you, you'll see the sort of rhythm to it. There are these cycles of oracles. And so it'll go from uh, oracles of impending doom to oracles of future hope. Oracles of impending doom, oracles of future hope. And, and at least three times it do, does it. You, you can, you can uh, outline it in several different ways, but at least three times we go, we go through these cycles of doom and then hope. <clears throat> and the reason why there are these oracles of doom that Micah is giving is because Samaria and Jerusalem, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, Right? They have broken covenant with Yahweh. So a covenant is like promises, uh, a relationship built on promises, like a marriage is, is that kind of, a marriage is a covenant. And basically, Israel, God's people, they were supposed to be God's bride, but they were cheating on their husband. Right? And so they were guilty of idolatry. And so chapter 1, chapter 5 are about that. But they are also guilty of injustice. So especially the rulers, and that's who is sort of like the target of Micah's prophecies, where he's speaking to the rich and ruling classes, right, who have become corrupt, right, and they're taking advantage of those who are under them. And so these leaders are to be understood as bad shepherds, right? And even Isaiah 56, 9 and following, talks about these same leaders in this uh, in the same kind of, of way. And so they are guilty of idolatry. They are guilty of injustice. And what Micah comes along and says, he warns them, if you keep going down this path, then Yahweh is going to give you over to foreign enemies, to foreign oppressors who will serve as God's instruments of justice. And eventually, it will lead to your exile out of, of the land, right? Just like this should be no surprise, right? Because this is what the Torah said. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, the cursings and blessings of the covenant. You break covenant, you're going to be handed over to your enemies, and eventually you will go to um, exile. 
And this is exactly what happens during the, the ministry of Micah. So in the northern kingdom, falls to Assyria in 722 BC during the time of, of his ministry. And then the southern kingdom comes very, very close, if you remember, when another Assyrian king comes in, his name is Sennacherib, and he lays siege to Jerusalem, cuts off all the resources, surrounds Jerusalem, right, during the time of King Hezekiah, right? And so, and they come very, very close to being captured, but then they're not, because the angel of the Lord does something, and we're not going into that today, but, you know, they're not, they're not captured, but that's in 701 BC, all during that time, and, but it, it points forward to another time, about 100 years later, when Babylon will lay siege around Jerusalem again. Like they'll surround Jerusalem again. And then Nebuchadnezzar will capture Jerusalem. And then he will lead them into exile. So the north goes into exile to Assyria. The south later, 100 years later, go into exile into Babylon. Kind of going into this, to the same place. So the, these, all throughout the Bible, there are these pictures of judgment and then exile and then return and then judgment, exile, return. This is happening over and over again. So there's these oracles of doom, okay? But then those oracles give way to oracles of hope, right? Do doom is not the end of the story for the people of God. The long night of judgment gives way to a dawn that is breaking, a, a new day. And in that day, this is what Yahweh says to his people. So this is from Micah chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I will gather the remnant of Israel I will set them together like sheep in a fold. And then a little bit later in Micah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, Yahweh will, quote, gather those who have been driven away. And then a little bit later in verse 7, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. He will reign over them in Jerusalem, over the people of, of God. And so Micah envisions this day in the future when Yahweh will come and gather a remnant. So when you think about remnant, we just mean people who stuck with God during hard times. He gathers a remnant to himself and they will become his flock and he will be their shepherd king and he will reign in righteousness. Yahweh will reign. So he's not going to be like the bad shepherds of Israel of old. He will be a good shepherd king, right? So what we have in the book of Micah is this tension, this tension between the necessity of divine judgment because of sin, where God delivers his people over to enemies, right? Where they are uh, foreign, they're oppressed by foreigners, the people from, from the outside. You've got that on the one side this necessity for divine judgment because of sin, but then God's great desire to bless and to shepherd. And so the, those two things are, they're just pulling, those ideas are pulling at one another. And all the way up to our passage in Micah chapter 5. And so now, so that gives us a sense of, of Micah, but now we're going to zoom in a little bit 
and then look at the immediate context right before our passage in Micah chapter 4, going into Micah chapter 5, verse 1. And just, just touching on a couple of details there, in verse 11 of chapter 4, it says this, Now many, many nations are assembled against you, right? against Zion, against Jerusalem. Many nations. It's interesting because we said Syria and then Babylon. Now it's many. Interesting. Then you go down to verse 1 of chapter 5, and it says this. This is right before our passage, by the way. <clears throat> now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Again, if you look back in chapter 4, verse 13, we're talking about Jerusalem. Siege is laid against us. We're surrounded by enemies. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now, the historical referent behind what is being spoken of is ambiguous, right? It, it could be, right, it's at least patterned after what we've talked about earlier. When Sennacherib was surrounding Jerusalem in 701 BC, Assyria was surrounding Jerusalem. But it also could, right, point forward to, and Micah did predict this in Micah 4.10, Babylon, when Babylon, 100 years later, 597, 586, you know, they're surrounded by the Babylonians in, in Jerusalem. But then, in chapter 4, verse 11, it's not one nation or this nation, it's many nations. And that sounds like Psalm 2, which is about a figure in the future. Right? And see, this happened, it's, you might go like, well, what in the world are we, you know? But this is how the prophets speak quite often, right? And I've heard many analogies, but I mean, one that's kind of helpful is when the prophets, they looked out into the future, what they saw was like a mountain range with many peaks. So if I, if these are two peaks, like, do they, do they look close together when you're looking at it like this? Right, they look close together and they talked about it as a mountain range, all the peaks together. And you're, you, you can't really tell, are we talking about this historical event, that, that historical event? When you, when you get, you come, you know, you take a helicopter ride, you come to the side, you look at the side, then now you see it like this. Right? And there could be large amounts of time between the peaks. Right? And I actually think that this is intentional because the point of it is, so Micah is saying, the people of God, trouble is looming, surrounded by enemies under threat, right? And the historical referent is ambiguous on purpose, in my opinion, because that's always true, right? It's an ongoing battle, right? And it's, it's like, there's this interesting thing in the Bible where it's like when you talk about the day of the Lord, when God comes in judgment and saves his people, and we've talked about this before. When we talk about the day of the Lord, it's like the last slide at the bottom of transparencies. And you've got all these transparencies that, that if, they, if, they, if they refer to previous historical events, they look like the last slide because you're looking through them, right? And they have elements of the same, of the same thing. It's like this, this story that's being rehearsed over and over again. Where the trouble is looming. We're surrounded by enemies, right? And now, some of you, when you hear the prophets speak that way, it resonates with you because you're saying, man, I, that's, that's like deep in me, 
right? I feel surrounded by enemies. And I, I, I mean, I can speak to my own experience where I feel surrounded by enemies. Trouble is, is looming. And, and maybe like Samaria, maybe like uh, um, Jerusalem, like part of the reason why I'm in that position is my own fault. But, but even if not, even if not, I know there's a sense. If God doesn't intervene soon, very soon, this whole thing is going to unravel, right? And, and we have that sense. And, and, and I often hear that when I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the prophets. But there's others of us, and, and I have been here too, right? So this is not casting judgment on anybody. But we hear words like this from the prophets, or we have friends that come over and visit us during Thanksgiving. They sound like the prophets. And um, you kind of go, don't you think this is a little dramatic? Like, um, it just seems a little overblown, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Uncle Bill, that we're really under threat, you know? Um, and there might be a good reason to say that to Uncle Bill for uh, other reasons. But you, you have that sense. But the thing about that is, when you, if you look at Micah, though, there are other characters in the book who sound like that sentiment, like, this is a little overblown, this is a little dramatic. I mean, God is a God who blesses. Like, and we should be always positive and encouraging, and you, Micah, you're bringing, every, you're bringing the party down, right? But is that the camp that we really want to be a part of? These false prophets who aren't taking the situation seriously. And my, my contention is, if you go that route, well, then you... You can't really appreciate Christmas if you don't understand that there's a need for Christmas. And so I think one of the messages of, of Micah is to, is to, look, no, no, no. Trouble is looming. We're under threat. And that's part, that's not the end of the story, but that is part of the Christmas message. So that's my first point. The second is, but, there's a big but. There's a hero on the horizon. Verse 1. I'll read verse 1 and verse 2 again. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from, for me one who's to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so now we're introduced to this mysterious figure who is a hero and who, like the heroes we've been talking about, is in some sense ordinary. But in other sense, other. Right? His origins, in some ways, are ordinary. So if you look again in the first part of verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one who's to be a ruler in Israel. Now, Bethlehem, we're familiar with it on this side, uh, you know, but Bethlehem is a very insignificant village about five miles south of Jerusalem. It did not make the official registry of the towns of Judea in Joshua chapter 15. Neither did it make the official registry of villages outside of Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 11. Why? Because it's too small. It's like, you know, you go to Google Maps. Are you going to see Hickman? You, you got to zoom in a lot to begin to see Keys, Hickman, like towns like that. And this is a town like that. Right? So you have Bethlehem on one hand, and it's coupled by this word, Ephrathah. Which is, it's, that's hard because it could either be uh, another name for Bethlehem. Some people think it's maybe a district that holds Bethlehem in it. Other people think, well, no, it's the name of a, of a clan that the inhabitants of Bethlehem, some of them uh, claim. But either way, you, you add Bethlehem and Ephrathah, and that is a, a it's a verbal, it's, a, it's like a hyperlink in the Bible that when you click on it, brings you back to David, Right? And, and you look at the first part of Ruth, it's there. But also in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 12, where we read, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. Okay, so Micah envisions a future hero, right, whose origins are from an insignificant place, area, maybe clan of David, but, but too small even to make ancient registries of towns and villages. It's, his origins are ordinary in that sense, but his origins are also other. So if you go back to verse 2, read it to the end, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now those two last phrases, from of old, from ancient days, can either refer to the distant future, in which case, I mean distant past, I meant to say, distant past, in which case Micah is saying um, this idea of a future hero who is to come is not a new one. It is, it's old. It's been part of God's plan for a very, very long time. Perhaps he's even making an allusion to David there. So it could, it could be that. But those two phrases can also be a reference to eternity past. That word, which is translated as a phrase here in our passage, from of old, is used in Habakkuk 1.12, for example, to describe Yahweh as an eternal being. And so Micah, he envisions a, a hero on the horizon whose origins are both ordinary in one sense, but then mysterious, profoundly mysterious on the other hand. So in Micah so far, you've got the people are embattled. They are surrounded by enemies, 
under threat, but there's hope because there's a hero on the horizon, right, who's like us, right? We, so we can relate to him and he might be able to represent us somehow, but then also he's other. And, and we need that too. We need somebody like us, but also greater than us. So trouble's looming. That was point number one. Hero on the horizon, right? And the fact that he's ordinary, but also other, that gives hope. And that's what I want to turn to next as our last point. The hope that this hero offers. Going back to verse 3. There it says, therefore, because he's referring back to the coming ruler of verse 2. Therefore, he, that is God, shall give them, that's the people of God, he shall give them up. He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Now, in the Bible, in, in, in the prophetic literature of the Bible, uh, when you see military language around the people of God and there is the image of, of a woman in labor is brought up, the idea there, okay, so women, you tell me, when you're in labor, is that kind of like a pleasant feeling? <laughs> right? No. The answer to that is no. Like, and if there's a woman who says it is, well, we, we got to talk. We need to get you into some counseling here. But, but you know, like, there, no, the contractions are, ugh. And so in the Bible, those contractions, when it talks about that in terms of the people of God, that's when, when the nation is under travail. It's under tribulation. It's under exile. And what God is saying, I, I'm going to give you up to foreign oppressors. And you, there will be a judgment. And there will, there will be a squeezing. But then that squeezing is going to result. This is a huge surprise. I mean, it's, it's going to result in the issuing forth of a hero from your own midst. Then it says this. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So this mysterious Hero, there's two things that he does, and there's two things that he is that Micah brings out. The two things he does is that he, he stands and he shepherds. And in the context of a city being under siege, this picture of him standing is one of he's the one left standing. He's the one who is then victorious over the enemies of God, and that results in the liberation of the people of God. But then he is also a shepherd who will lead the people of God into a new reality. Now, in the Bible, Yahweh himself 
is called a shepherd on several occasions. Isaiah 40, 11, a very, you know, maybe the most quoted passage, Psalm 23, 1. What does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is a shepherd, right? But then the prophets talk about the leaders of Jerusalem, right? It says that they're like what? They're like bad shepherds. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34. But then in those same passages, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, there's a promise of a shepherd king who will come from the line of David. And he, like Yahweh, will be a good shepherd. So this figure, right, he stands and he shepherds. And because he does that, he will be great throughout the earth meaning that his, his reign is going to go well beyond the borders of Israel. And that was anticipated, right? In Psalm 2, Psalm 72, right? And even in verse 3, when it talks about the rest of his brothers coming into the people of God, I, I believe, and we don't have time to go into it right now, but you ask me after if you want to, but that includes Gentiles brought in and Israelites, but it's his people, his people he draws to himself as, as the shepherd, and he will be great. His reign will be great, and he will be their peace, meaning he will put an end to the enmity between God and humanity and the members of the humanity with one another. And in that way, he will restore shalom. Oneness. We were meant for oneness. I love the word shalom. It talked about when, when Psalm finished the, the temple and he put the last brick in, he shalomed it. Like he, he, all the pieces made into one under the righteous king. And then in verse 4, and only then, we will dwell secure. Security doesn't come from retirement plans or schemes that you have. It comes by coming under the reign of the shepherd king. Right? And so Micah, he's saying, he envisions a shepherd king in the future, born in Bethlehem, but also from of old, right? who conquers the enemies of God on behalf of, of God's people in order to liberate them because they've been embattled to establish a kingdom of, of peace that will be global. It will, it, it will encompass the entire world. And this is Micah's message. Have I mentioned a New Testament passage yet? No. This is Micah's message. 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus. And who could he be talking about other than Jesus? Right? Jesus is the Christmas hero. Right? Who is, he's completely other. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And nothing was made except for if he made it. Like, we can't. Like, I can't say that about Dave 
or Canaan or Alex or Jeff. You know, it's like we can say that about one person. He's completely other. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Not even I was, I, I, I am existence itself. Right. He is completely other. But he that was other became ordinary. Because Matthew 2 tells us he was born in Bethlehem. Just like Micah 5 predicted that he would be. And in this way, the word became flesh. And so the baby in the manger, Christmas, is about the coming of the shepherd king, right? Which he claimed himself to be, by the way, in John chapter 10. He is the good shepherd. And we needed him to come. We are not different from Samaria and Jerusalem. Are, are we idolatrous? Do you ever try to find salvation and security and comfort in something or someone else other than God? I do. That makes, that makes us idolaters. And that always leads to injustice. Injustice is about not treating other people right. When you have an idol, people become either tools to get that idol or obstacles in the way of your idol. And you, you treat them subhuman. And so idolatry always leads to injustice. And so we, we needed him to come and to liberate us because the result of being idolatrous and, and not treating each other right is that God will give us over. He's like, you want that? Here you go. And so we're given over to enemies, sin, death, the devil, which are foreign to God's world. And we were occupied, oppressed by these entities, and we would have continued in that state, except for one thing. The hero of Christmas came. And there's one criteria of a hero that we failed to mention. A hero needs to be more than just like us. He needs to be more than greater than us. Because what does that mean to me? He needs to be willing to sacrifice himself because of love. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Both in the incarnation, where he has subjected himself to the limits of humanity, but then at the cross, where that tension between God, the necessity for God's divine judgment, and his desire to bless and shepherd is resolved in a moment, where Jesus is handed over to the enemies. And he is surrounded, right? And evil is allowed to swallow him up as his life is taken away by murderous people and then he is doomed. Real doomed. 
then there is hope. Because he rises from the dead and he brings a new dawn. And in the same passage where he says, I am the good shepherd, he said this, no one takes my life. (laughs) Jesus is not a victim on the cross. No one, no one has the power to take his life. No one takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. And if I have the power to lay it down, then I have the power to rise up again. And that is why Jesus is our hero. And all the hero stories that humans have ever generated point to this One hero, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and we barely notice. And so, Father, just give us a new perspective. Draw us up out of just the sentimentality of the season and draw us into yourself, God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our shepherd king. Help us to see him for who he is and to celebrate him for who he is. And God, give us ears to hear his voice leading us into a new reality, protecting us from enemies. We thank you for the salvation that he brings, Lord. And I I just pray, grip our hearts with him. Cause him to be more compelling than anything else the world has to offer, Lord. Do a work in our heart by your spirit. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.